Genesis chapter 5, and reading from verse 21. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. As I mentioned just before we read that passage, this was the portion given to me by the elders to come and preach in relation to your series going through the early stages of the book of Genesis. Over the years, I've picked up many quotations from the book of Hezekiah which I have found very helpful for my own Christian life as a pastor. Number one, don't disturb more rattlesnakes than you can kill. Number two, don't criticize a man or a woman until you've walked a mile in their moccasins. Number three, choose your battles carefully. And number four, if you want to be popular, sell ice cream. And having been a Bible church teacher for nearly 40 years now, I've discovered that when you seek to unlock the truth of God's word, then people start to take issue with you. But believe me, I want you to know I did not write this passage. All I'm trying to do is to explain a very difficult portion of God's word. We know that during the French Revolution, many people were locked up into terrible prisons, dark, smelly, dank conditions. 
Uh, one of the stories I read in relation to the French Revolution is that these prisoners were packed into a very, very small prison cell that had a very small opening at the top. And for about 10 minutes every day when the sun came over, a little bit of light came through that window. One of the men locked in that prison had a fairly small Bible for the day. And during that little slot when the sun shone through, men would lift him up so with what light was there, he could try and read a little bit of the scriptures. And then the men would say when the light had passed, what did you read? What did you read? And I thought of that illustration in relation to this passage because it's a very, very dark passage. And when I read it, I thought, surely not. And then I kind of went back to the email and looked at the passage that was given, checked, no, they've got it right. But surely not. Why? It's an incredibly dark passage. And over these past few weeks, I have felt like that man in one of those prisons, trying to catch a little bit of light and saying, Lord, what I've read in the dark while the light has been shining, give me grace to try and share with the people in the crescent here in Belfast tonight. And as I've been looking at these verses, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, right through to verse 8 of chapter 6, I want to keep it big and clear, but without corrupting the text and being too general that it's absolutely meaningless there are three main things that stand out in these verses number one a man who walked the passage begins with a man called Enoch who walked with God Enoch is mentioned five times within the word of God and what is interesting in the Old Testament we just have 50 word, 51 words on his life but when you turn to the New Testament, we have more about Enoch in the New Testament than the Old Testament, 94 words. The Bible tells us that Adam had been on the earth 622 years when Enoch was born. What is interesting is that he's given lots of firsts. He's the first recorded man in Scripture to walk with God. He's the first man recorded in Scripture who is said to have pleased God. He's the first man in the Bible to have missed death. He was the first prophet on the face of the earth because we're told in the book of Jude he was a prophet. And Jude tells us something absolutely amazing. He said Enoch was the prophet of the second coming of the Messiah when the Messiah hadn't even arrived. So he's an incredible man. So here's this man who lived in the generation of Adam who was filled with thirst. But what was his world like? Well, that's why we have Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5. Sometimes we, we read the Bible like we look at a drain pipe up and down. But sometimes we've got to look at the Bible horizontally. And sometimes chapters cover the same era. And Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 are telling us what was going on throughout the whole of that era. And we're told, and I happen to believe that Moses wrote this, Moses put this down at the instruction of the Lord for four reasons. To tell us that the days of Enoch were days of mental activity. Surprising how we in the 21st century have this chronological snobbery that if it's new, it's better. And that, oh, we feel so sorry for people who lived 200 years ago. Poor dabs. We've got it real. My dear friends, that's chronological snobbery. When you read these early chapters of Genesis, chapter 4 and chapter 5, we read of lots of things blossoming. We, we read of the arts. We read of agriculture. 
We read of people working with metals. The whole world was discovering and explaining things. And by the way, sin wasn't as rampant in those early days as it is today. So there were days of great mental activity. And by the way, Noah and his family built an ark 450 feet long. Some of you can't even boil an egg. And we're in the 21st century. But here's a man living decades ago, centuries ago, millennia ago, and he can build a ship that can go through a storm. These were incredible days. Where has this come from? There were great days of mental activity. There were also days of great material prosperity. Jesus told us that. He said, when I come back to this earth, it will just be like in the days of Noah. There'll be marriage, giving in marriage, life will be going on. And while we know that Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah, this kind of attitude was, was prevalent throughout those days. And so lots was going on in life. Life was to be enjoyed. But also Genesis says there were days of moral depravity. And that's what Genesis 6 touches on. It says things were going on there that were so dark that in the end God said, I have got to wash the earth clean. I've had parents say to me over the years, do you know something? I wish I'd never had children. The pain they've given my wife and myself, I regret having children. And that's quite a brave thing to say. And God says, having made all this and seen how people have responded, I am sorry I ever made the world. That's a kind of hard concept to understand. But what Genesis wants us to understand is the feeling into the heart of God. There were days of desperate moral depravity. We'll come to that in a few minutes. And also there were days of monumental apostasy. You see, Adam was still alive at the beginning of all this. And Adam walked with God in the cool of the garden. He messed up big time. And then he saw the whole thing explode before his very eyes. His consequence shattered the whole of the human race. And Adam watches one son murder another son. He sees a falling out of his own family. He sees a man who he has brought into the world turn his back on God. Wait a minute. This is the God that I walked with. And so by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, the world is in a terrible, terrible state. And while we have this long list of what's going on, suddenly Moses says, while all this was taking place, along came Enoch. And he walked with God. For 65 years he didn't. He lived like anybody else. And then one day his wife said, Enoch, we're having a child. And we can only presume, because we're not told directly, that God powerfully intervened into his life and said, Enoch, you must name your son Methuselah. How do I know that was of the Lord? Because nobody in their right mind would call their son Methuselah. Do you what his name means? When he dies, it will happen. And every time, every time Methuselah was called for his tea, 
a message was given to the world. When he dies, it will happen. Your tea's ready. And God breaking into the life of Enoch through the birth of his son changed him. And I don't know if you can understand this, but there are times when God, who is sovereign, suddenly breaks into our lives. William Cooper, great friend of John Newton, wrote a very powerful hymn. Sometimes, he said, a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. Surely we believe in a God of intervention. Here is Zechariah just going around his usual prayers in the temple and suddenly there is Gabriel. Here's Mary, a teenage girl, getting on with life and suddenly here's Gabriel saying, you are going to have a son. Here's the Apostle Paul, clenched fist, spitting out anger on his way to Damascus and suddenly the Lord arises in his life. And isn't that how some of us became Christians? That while we were even cursing God or mocking God, he just breaks into our life. I don't understand it, but it's the God of the Bible, the God of surprises. And suddenly God broke into this man's life and said, from now on, your wife is going to have a son. He's going to be called Methuselah. And when he dies, it will happen. And it says, at that moment, Enoch walked with God. Can I ask you a question? Has God ever broken into your life? You say, I'm part of a Christian family. That counts for nothing. That does not cut ice with God. The question is this. Has God broken into your life in such a way that you are aware this is not religion, this is God? My father's been with the Lord for many years now, over 20 years. And... uh, He was coming home from work one day and he was cycling. My father could never drive. It was a blessing to the nation. He could never drive, but he could ride a bike. Do you know, he he was coming home from work one day. God so met him, he had to get off the bike and sit on a wall while God dealt with him. Not long after this, I had to bury my father. And a man at the funeral said to me, David, can I take you on one side? I have a confession to make. I said, by all means. He said, several months ago, I was driving home from work, and I saw your father sitting on a wall with his bike lent next to the wall, and he was crying. And he said, I drove past, and I felt so guilty. I know this man. He's a preacher. I should have helped him. Perhaps it was a problem. Thankfully, my father told me what had happened to him. I said to this man, no need for confession. God was dealing with him. God was dealing with him. We must have within our theology this expectation that God can break into our lives and deal with us in a personal, in an intimate way. That's what happened to Enoch. And from that point on, he walked with God. Do you know something? When God has had dealings with you, God has dealt with your soul. You start to walk with him. It's not a matter of are you in the meeting. It's you keep following in his footsteps. And many, many years later when Jude was writing his little postcard epistle, 
He tells us some fascinating things about Jude. Where he got them from, we can only presume the Spirit revealed them to him, but also through studying the Word of God. And Jude says, oh, by the way, Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Why do you tell us that? Well, we know the Jews put great emphasis on numbers. The Jews believed that seven was perfection. And how interesting, Jude says, of all people for God to break into, it was the man who was the seventh from Adam. And he walked with God. It's a Hebrew way of saying, when God breaks into your life, that is perfection. That's a seven. So here's a man who walked with God. But also, Adam had two sons. Well, he had Cain and Abel. Cain murdered Abel. But he had another son called Seth. Going down the line of Seth, Enoch was number seven. But if you go down the line of Cain, the seventh from Adam was a man called Lamech. Not the Lamech that you read of here in our portion, but the Lamech who was a wicked man. The man who went around killing people and boasted that he'd killed people. And Jude says, isn't it interesting that seven from Adam, through Cain and through Seth, one was an evil man and one was a good man. One walked with God, one went around killing people and boasting about it. But they lived together. But also, there was another Enoch. He was a son of Cain. And when, when, when Cain turned his back on God, he did his own thing and he built a city. He said, I'm going to call my city after my son Enoch. You can imagine in those days, wow, I've got a city named after me. My dad built the city for me, the city of Enoch. Everyone knew Enoch. But if I hadn't told you there was a city called Enoch, you'd be no wiser. And Jude, many years later, says, oh, by the way, not the Enoch who had a city named after him. We've forgotten him. The Enoch who was the seventh from Adam. He walked with God. Imagine walking with God for 300 years. He had no Bible. He had no Bible reading notes. He had no phone, so he had no apps. And judging by what we read in Genesis, he had very few friends. It's surprising what we think is essential to live the Christian life. I don't mean to be rude by this. You need the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, bringing his word alive. The rest are all helpful props, but they're not Christianity. And here's a man who walked with God for 300 years. You know, to walk requires life. Have you noticed this? Dead people don't walk. And you can only walk with God if you're alive. Why is it this place, by and large, is quite empty tonight, as most chapels are? Because people are dead. And when people are dead, they can't walk. Who wants to walk with God when you're dead? 
And also a walk requires freedom. If you were nailed down, you go around in circles. A walk means freedom. And you can only walk with God if God has broken into your life and liberated you. This man had been liberated by God. And also, a walk requires movement. Movement. And here's a man who is moving closer and closer to God. And also, a walk requires strength. Where did this man get his strength from? He got it from the Lord. Can you imagine the transformation in this man when his neighbor said, what's happened to him? He's gone strange. And Peter, when he writes his little epistle at the end of the New Testament, says, oh, by the way, have you noticed the world says, you no longer run with us. What's up with you? You don't speak as we speak. You don't go where we go. What's up with you? Ah, we've got a new focus. And here is Enoch, a man who walked. What an incredible man. Campbell Morgan has a great story. He says, expounding Genesis chapter 5, it says God took him. That means God took Enoch home. And Campbell Morgan put it like this. He said, one day Enoch went for another walk with God. And at the end of the walk, God said to Enoch, do you know, you're nearer my house than yours. Why don't you come home? And God took him home. By the way, how did the people in that day and age respond? Where has he gone? Anyone seen Enoch? Maybe folks said he's been abducted, he's been murdered. But the Bible says God just took him. Wow. So here's a man who walked, but here's the second thing where it gets tricky. He's living in a world that was wicked. So what kind of world did Enoch walk in? Well, Genesis 6 tells us. It is a very difficult passage to understand because it speaks about the sons of God and the daughters of men. It speaks about people sleeping together, about giants being born, and at the end God was so repulsed by what he saw, he said, I've got to wash the earth clean. What on earth was going on? I could spend a lot of time tonight showing you quite convincingly, I think, from Scripture. And also I can go outside of the Bible, but I don't have to. But I can show you quite convincingly from Scripture that when the Bible refers to the sons of God, it is speaking of the demonic. It is speaking of fallen angels. And here it says, the sons of God, the fallen angels, looked at the daughters of men. And the Bible says that they lusted and they cohabited. This then brings up the whole problem. How can a demon cohabit a human being, cohabit with a human being? People then start throwing scriptures around out of context, saying, well, you can do this and you can't do that. What is fascinating is this. When you read Second Peter, and also chapter Jude, uh, and the, the sixth verse of, of, of the chapter of Jude, both Peter and Jude tell us something so obnoxious happened with the demons that God bound them because they left their natural estate and he cast them into Tartarus forever. 
And so to me, the Bible is quite clear. There are demons who are on the roam. Speak to anyone who's been involved in that kind of ministry. They do exist. But there were some who did something so vile that God bound them in Tartarus, awaiting for their judgment. I trust you've never read a book called Rosemary's Baby. It's a story of a woman who believed that she slept with the devil. And through sleeping with the devil, she produced demonic offspring. People write about these things. The Bible says this stuff was going on. It was vile sex and gross violence. But the Bible says when God saw how low people had sunk, he said, that's it. I have got to wash the earth clean. Why would the demons do this? Well, God had said to both Adam and Eve, through the woman, I'm going to bring a redeemer. Through your seed, I'm going to bring the savior. And believe me, the devil is smarter than any of us put together. And he says, if it's got anything to do with me, that is not going to happen. I'm going to pollute the whole of that channel that that may not happen. And if you think this is rather kind of far-fetched and I'm not all that sure that is true, will you explain to me how the Holy Spirit can come upon a woman and she give birth to the Messiah? How do you explain that? And if God can do that with the clean Holy Spirit, what can happen with unclean spirits? That kind of world does exist. And how interesting, by the way, that I hope you never dabble with Ouija boards, but Ouija is French and German. We, yes, ya, yes. And a Ouija board is saying, yes, yes. I open myself to the evil world. And when people start to open themselves up to that which is evil, believe me, it brings out the absolute worst. And so here's a world that is terribly, terribly gross, terribly wicked. And in this world, Enoch is walking with God. Wow, what an incredible and so here's a man who walked in a world that was wicked. And then suddenly you read this, ah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here is a character who was wholesome. Now, I don't know if you believe in Noah. I do. And Jesus did. And I don't know if you take the Bible seriously, but Jesus did. It was the only book he had. And it's interesting, all the characters that people kind of criticize, that Jesus referred to them. Isn't that a coincidence? You know, people laugh at Jonah. I mean, people can't be swallowed by a fish. It's interesting, Jesus believed in Jonah. And most people, if you've ever been to theological college, laugh at Daniel. Daniel was a myth. But it's interesting that Jesus spoke about Daniel. And Adam and Eve weren't real people. They were just kind of types of people. It's interesting that Jesus spoke about Adam and Eve. And how fascinating. When you read the Bible, 
The devil comes into the Bible in the third chapter. The third chapter from the beginning. And I just find it an interesting coincidence that the devil is thrown out of the Bible, the third chapter from the end. And what are the two most controversial chapters theologically these days in the church? When the devil comes in and when the devil gets out. How smart of the evil one to cloud the issues that we end up falling out over these things but we miss the real issue. And so here's Enoch. God takes him home but he leaves a witness and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This doesn't mean that Noah had a religious gene that nobody else had. It doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that because there was something nice about Noah that he found grace, that God said, you know, I like you. I really like you. I'm going to give you some grace. No. God, I don't understand it, poured grace into this man's life. And he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord Jesus, when he was speaking in Matthew chapter 24, he said, when I come back, it would just be like the days of Noah. Lots of mental activity. Those were the days of Noah. They were the days of Enoch. Lots, lots going on up there. Boy, isn't it amazing the kind of stuff that is happening in our world today. You see, one of the weird things about preaching these days is that while you're preaching, people are checking you out on their phone. Going, oh, you got that illustration wrong. You don't have folk are kind of checking you out, looking at the Bible, or sending a text. But that's the kind of world we live in these days. We have so much information. When I was in school 30-odd years ago, world knowledge was doubling every 10 years. Now it's almost every 10 minutes. And what is happening is absolutely frightening. You know, it is, I'm a kind of, I'm a novice when it comes to these things. Look at me. I wear a tie. I don't have a sat-nav. Okay, you've got the kind of picture of who I am. But even my, my phone, when I'm lost, it tells me where I am. I'm going, wow, this is brilliant, Lord. And that's peanuts to you. You think I'm a dinosaur. We live in a world full of incredible mental activity. Yes, we also live in a world of great material prosperity. Proof, you've renovated your church. That's a luxury to many people. Most of you probably have two cars. How many holidays have you had this year? What have you got in the bank? I think maybe our Conservative MP was right in many areas, or Prime Minister. We've never had it so good. Not everybody, but a lot of people. But while this mental activity is going on, and there's also lots of material prosperity, isn't there a sense of moral depravity? When you sign up for Facebook, are you ready for this? There are 71 different genders you can sign up to. 71. Now, if you're enlightened on this, I'll stand at the door. You tell me the other 69. I only know of two. That's how depraved we are. 
And now we live in a country where if your child is taught sexual issues, even about being transgender, you cannot take your child out of the class. It is a crime. We talk about freedom. We're no longer free, my friends. We're living in days where incredible things are happening, and we, we have to listen. Otherwise, you're in trouble. And while all this is taking place, yeah, what about the days of Enoch and Noah? Yeah, days of mass apostasy. Monumental. My wife and I took three weeks holiday in our own country. And I drove 1,400 miles in three weeks. It was meant to be a holiday. But I was doing some research for some lectures. I exaggerate not one syllable in three weeks traveling 1,400 miles around my own country, I came across two evangelical churches. But village after village, town after town, church closed, church closed, church closed. You speak about Jesus to somebody, they're not interested. In the whole of Europe, just 1% are evangelical. The rest. And Jesus said, these days will prevail just before I come back. But thank God, in those days, all those years ago, there was a man called Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he, like Enoch, walked with God. If you want to walk with God in the 21st century... Let me tell you this. Number one, you will be in a minority. Enoch was in a minority. Noah was in a minority. If you want to walk with God, believe me, you'll be in a minority. But I tell you this, I'd rather have God as my companion than the whole world. When I trained in agriculture... At the end of our three years, I was trained to be a plantsman. I think I've told you this before. Everyone had to tell the class what they were going to do with their life. And then it came to me. Okay, Earnshaw, what are you going to do when you leave here? What job are you going to do? Uh, I'm going to train for the Christian ministry. He was his reaction. You what? I said, train for the ministry. What a waste of a life. What a waste of a life. And, and I know it myself. You tell people that you love the Lord uh, and that you love to talk about his word uh, and that Jesus Christ is real. I tell you this, you find yourself in a minority. But don't worry, so did Enoch. So did Noah. Secondly, it means you'll have to live differently. You know how we sometimes say to non-Christians, I'm the same as you, we're not. We're different. Why? Because God has broken into our lives. And when God met Enoch, he walked differently. He walked with God. And when God broke into the life of Noah, he walked differently. He walked with grace. And my dear friends, we have to live a different kind of life. And it's costly. We're also told this, he, 
walked in fear. That's Noah. He walked in fear. Believe me, the thought of meeting the Lord puts fear into my soul. Why? Because one day, I'm going to meet the maker of the universe. And so are you. He's not going to say to me, David, how were the old levels? About the air levels? Lord, I gave those a miss. I understand. They were hard. How was your degree, David? How was your job? By the way, I loved your garden. He's not going to ask about those things. He's going to look at my life and say, David, in the light of all that I did, what did you do? And the Bible says all of us have got to appear before the God of the universe and give an account of our life. Noah lived in fear. But he walked with God, just like Enoch. And I say to you quite bluntly, if you walk with God, you'll be in a minority. You will have to live differently from today's values. You will need to know the fear of God in your soul. And you'll need to cultivate that personal relationship with him. God washed the old world clean. And only eight people survived. It is hard to believe. But one day, God is going to wash this world clean. And all that we think is solid and here for life will disappear. And then God said, as I made a new world after the days of Noah, I'm going to make a new world. And in that world, righteousness will dwell. And the book of Revelation says it's even better than that. Instead of us living with God, He will come and live with us. Read it there in Genesis, in Revelation chapter 21. Interesting passage, isn't it? I said to a friend, you'll never believe what the Crescent have given me to preach on. So he said, what's that? I read, He said, I'll pray for you, brother. He said, I once heard a man preach on this many, many years ago, and he had a wonderful outline. I said, give it me, quick, give it me. He said, here it is. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but also he found loneliness and rejection and mockery in the eyes of men. Let me tell you about my marriage and then I'll finish. Sometimes when I'm grumbling, I think it was five years ago, my wife does this which irritates me no end. Are you happy? Are you grumpy? Choose. And sometimes in life we have those decisions. 
Am I going to follow the Lord? Or am I going to follow men? Which one is it? Enoch walked with God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And how interesting the New Testament speaks about these men. Lord, I want to so walk with you that I call these people my friends. Is it tough? Speak to Enoch. Is it lonely? Speak to Noah. Is it worth it? Speak to the whole of heaven. And Hebrews 12 says, we are surrounded by such a great crowd of people who say, I did it. You can do it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If God has never broken into your heart, why not make this your prayer? Lord, break into my heart. Surprise me with your grace. Please, God, break into my heart. If you're finding it tough, think of Enoch. Think of Noah. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for every person here who's had an experience of you breaking into their lives in grace and surprising them. And Father, I give you thanks that when you break into our lives, it's because you want to change us and transform us and make us like yourself. Father, we open our hearts to you and say, Lord, fill our lives with your presence. Please, Lord, by your grace, break into our lives. And Father, there are people here who know nothing of that. It may become a personal reality. And Lord, there are some here who find themselves in difficult situations. Almost, they almost feel like Enoch or almost feel like Noah. A lot is happening, but there's things going on that are not good. Father, give them grace to keep putting one foot in front of the other and to keep their eyes on Jesus. Father, I simply ask this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ.